Back in here, live, 702, hour number two on a Wednesday edition of Morning Drive, 102.5 The Game. Nick, Braden, D-Mace, and Marquise with you, getting you set for the big one Saturday in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and LSU. And one man who knows that rivalry very, very well is Tim Brando from Fox Sports, who will be on the call for Fox this week as Iowa takes on Wisconsin in Big Ten action. Tim, we appreciate a couple of minutes. How are you this morning, sir? I'm fantastic. Good to be with you guys. Uh, it's basketball and football time for yours truly, so busy time of year, and, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Hmm. Did you, eight years ago, because you were obviously with CBS at the time, and Bama LSU 2011, Game of the Century label, we know how it ended, 9-6, great defenses that day. If I would have told you eight years ago that this rematch would happen and it would have almost the same feel, yet it would look like a Big 12 game on the scoreboard, what would you tell me? The game evolves. College <laughs> football is always, uh, you know, it's, it's about evolution. And, you know, it, it began when Nick Saban hired Lane Kiffin. And, 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 you know, LSU, I think, is the transformational team of this season. Most people didn't believe it until they saw it. And even after they saw it, they were like, well, can they sustain it? Uh, and they have. Uh, and now they finally have a quarterback that they can win with as opposed to try to win despite of, which had been for a long time the issue at LSU. Now with Joe Burrow, who is, in my, in my opinion, right now the Heisman Trophy frontrunner, uh, you've got a guy that has done really everything but uh, get the job done against Alabama. So this is yet another test for uh, LSU and for its doubters. You know, can they do to Alabama what they were able to do to Florida, what they were able to do to an unbelievable Auburn team, which, in my opinion, has a better defense, uh, especially up front, uh, than Alabama does? It's all mental now. Can they go into Tuscaloosa and, 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 and as they say, jump, <laughs> jump the frog? You know, there's sometimes uh, there's a lot of teams that you just can't get past the mental block. Um, this, that's where this game is, in my opinion, because um, the talent level on both sides, I think, is, um, is, is similar. And I, I would give LSU check marks against Alabama in certain areas that in the past I would never have given them check marks against them. Uh, so, but I, I still think they've got a lot to prove, you know, to themselves, to their, to their program. Can we, can we do this? And, um, if you're as old as I am, uh, and, and maybe a few of your listeners are, it's not helping your ratings, but maybe <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe some of them are. They'll remember when Bear Bryant uh, dominated Charlie McClendon, and uh, and, it, and it lasted for a long time. I think Charlie Mack was seven, fifteen. He he, he was two and fifteen, something like that, against mm. against the Bear, and ultimately lost his job because he couldn't beat him enough. And uh, finally, in the early 80s, Jerry Stovall had taken over after Bo Ryan's plane went down, a uh, very tragic loss of the coach from NC State that was hired at LSU in 79. But Jerry Stovall, who had, had never really thought about coaching, was working in a fundraising uh, area within the LSU athletic department, went into Tuscaloosa uh, in 1980 and won the game uh, against Bear Bryant in Alabama. It sort of signaled... Um, the, the beginning for uh, not just LSU, but also when Bill Arnsparger came in and also had success against Alabama. But Bear Bryant was on his way out. 
Uh, I like this particular place in history for Orgeron and LSU to where this LSU team was as a program in the early 80s. Uh, very similar circumstances, really. Alabama has owned LSU mentally for such a long period of time, and this is sort of a jump the frog or get over the hump type of game for them. Well, and, and the mental part of this game ties directly back largely to the head coach and, and how he gets his team prepared. And I think most every human on the planet roots for Ed Orgeron, the, the man. And I think a lot of us in this industry have always had sort of questions about his upside. The talent is there, as you talked about. The the coordinators are amongst the best in America. Um, the quarterback is is the guy now as well. So they've solved all these problems. I, I do believe, and, and tell me if you think I'm wrong on this, I started to compare Coach O's sort of culture building at LSU, sort of similarly to Dabo Sweeney. Not really well uh-huh. not really not really well respected from an X's and O's standpoint, but just a great leader with a great CEO and a great personality that's got a great connection with the community. Um that's yeah. all great and that and I think that's happened. But is he good enough as a head coach to to win championship setting games uh, against coaches like Saban and Dabo and, and the Urban Myers of the world? That's a very good point. Uh, I think the, what you have to look at in so many ways uh, is, is is that this is you got to make the same kind of decisions here that you did when you were threatened early in the season by Texas, and you allowed Joe Burrow to go win the game offensively, go make a play. Um, you've got to be willing to do what LSU did with with saying, okay, we must address the fact that we've got to get some yards on on the ground, even if. You know, e- even if, if, if they're stuffing us on third and fourth and one, and you got to go wide. And, um, and now he's discovered that, that they can run the football some too, that identify the problem that we, we still have to get some yards on the ground. If we have to go wide to do it, then we'll go wide to do it because other teams are good too. You know, their guys are on scholarship. Um, yeah, I, I, that's, your comparison is very good. And the stability, I think he wants, um, Braden, I think he wants the stability of a Dabo Sweeney staff. You know, to have an ensemble of people around him that stay for a long period of time. His culture is much more comparable to that of a Dabo Sweeney. Uh, but I will tell you this, from a structural standpoint in terms of X's and O's, um, he knows this game. He knows it big time. Uh, but he's not, he's not, caught up in matching wits with Nick Saban. And I think that shows a level of maturation on his part. And I think fans have had to come to terms with this. People want to label coaches. And he learned a lot when he was at USC after he was fired at Ole Miss. Um, USC's in the position they're in because they weren't smart enough to hire Orgeron. He was ready to be the head coach after he was the interim there. And um, I think he's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was more than ready because of what he's done now here at LSU. We're talking with Tim Brando, Fox Sports. You can catch him. He's um, calling the Cincinnati-Ohio State game, so you can check him out there, uh, which should be a good game, um, by the way. That's uh, that's Hoops Tonight. Absolutely, Hoops Tonight, which I love, even though my Spartans lost last night. We're still good. (laughs) (laughs) I've got uh, – well, that, we're talking hoops now when we say Cincinnati, Ohio State. <laughs> Absolutely. That's one. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. And, and by the way, Braden, what, what do you do to, to stay away from anxiety? 
you make sure that you're doing the game opposite LSU Alabama on Fox, which is what I've got on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and that, that that is a that is a truly great underrated rivalry between Wisconsin and yeah, Iowa. It it, it's it's yeah. a great it's a great football game, and and it's a great weekend for action in general. What what was your reaction to the to the rankings last night? Did you take anything away for Alabama, the Big Twelve, the Pac twelve? Second team from the Big Ten. Is there anything major you took away from the rankings last night? Yeah, you know, this committee's going to do whatever it wants, you know, and they're going to give you some uh, babble to support whatever they decide to do. It's contrived transparency. I don't know why they do this, because it just proves, you know, how bogus this operation is. Uh, the, the committee is going to listen to the old coaches in the room who are going to tell you, boy, those guys look really good in warm-ups. I'm sorry. I don't care who they played. You know, Ohio State's got the better team. they got to be number one. Really? Okay, fine. Who, you know, based on criteria alone. Now, listen, I've got Ohio State number one in my own poll because I am an eye test. I can afford to be an eye test. I'm not on the committee. Okay. I think Ohio State's the most complete team. But if you're, if they give you this cockamamie excuse about, well, we've got this criteria and that criteria, by anyone's criteria, LSU should be number one. By anyone's criteria. Because Ohio State hasn't played anyone yet. Now that'll change, uh, just as it's going to change for Alabama. What I, what I don't quite get, and I, I heard um, Kirk Herbstreit talk about it, I have the utmost respect for Kirk, and, and I think Feinbaum has echoed the same thing, and that is, Alabama's got to win because if they don't win, they can't get in. Really? No, that's such a joke. No, Alabama's a brand name. Alabama looks good in warm-ups. Alabama's got all these championships. They look good on the field, too, Tim. What was that? They look good on the field, too. Like when they actually play games, they they win by like 35. Yeah, they do. So what I'm saying to you is if Alabama (laughs) loses to LSU in a close Mm -hmm. game, don't tell me they yeah, can't get yeah. in the no, college football playoff. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, please. Uh, Alabama, if, if you're going to say Ohio State is number one because of an eye test, and how the hell is Alabama suddenly out if they lose to LSU? I don't buy that. I just don't. Uh, this thing is going to come back down to the teams that we can always predict are going to be here. As long as we're at four teams, this is what we're looking at. Brands matter. And I'm not saying that uh, sweat equity wasn't put into building the brand, Braden. I mean, I'm not. But, I mean, the committee's going to say whatever it wants. For Georgia to be ranked number six uh, is the most bogus aspect of it. Now, I know they've got a couple of big wins, but they also have the worst loss at home to South Carolina. Sorry, no excuse. That loss is every bit as bad, in my opinion, as the loss Ohio State had to Purdue that cost them the playoffs. And yet they're ranked ahead of Oregon, who's really played well of late. I mean, really well. Utah, I saw a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to see him again next week. That team is legit. Huntley is one of the best, most underrated quarterbacks in the country. And Zach Moss is a big-time back. And Whittingham's defense is, is fantastic. His second level of linebackers and defensive backs is as good as any team you're going to see. And for them to be ranked behind Georgia based on – what, because Georgia's played who they played, I, I'm, I just I'm sorry I don't I don't buy that at all. I do think that the Pac-12 uh, was a big winner though uh, to be where they are. I frankly was a little surprised that Oklahoma was behind them. Uh, I would have thought probably three weeks ago, Braden, that um, 
you know, we would have been talking about the Pac-12 being out of it again. And I guess if there is some good news, it's that the, the Pac-12 is actually in a better spot with a maybe easier path than Oklahoma would have. Now, I, th- I believe I can, um, Tim, I can ask you this um, because mm-hmm. you, you you called the football and now you, you got your young basketball game tonight. Um, the way the NCAA college basketball, I think they've gotten it right in regards to trying to draw people in uh, to, to watch the game. You had number one versus two Michigan State, um, Kentucky. Then you had Kansas and Duke uh, playing in an earlier game. Do you like mm-hmm. the way that that collegiate basketball is doing and having these, you know, these these blue blood teams, these top rate teams play early? Well, they play too early. The only issue with college basketball is that we start too early. Mm -hmm. I think we should wait until Thanksgiving week to have these games because the the casual fans just not ready for college basketball right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love college basketball and I love the fact that it starts during football season. I just think it should, it should start a little bit later. Um, We're rushing these kids to play like last night, uh, the Kentucky, uh, the Kansas game with Duke was a turnover fest. Neither team, uh, I mean, Kansas had 18 at halftime and was only down three points. Uh, you're not going to get games played at the at the kind of level that you want until they've had some time to practice. These kids have only practiced about two weeks or so. You know, they're having to get comfortable with one another. Um, I do prefer, and one of the reasons I love college basketball is I, I've always felt that uh, the way that the, the game is structured, we get great games at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want that, and we have a system in place that gives us uh, the kind of postseason that America wants. College football never never has gotten that right. Um, hopefully in the future it will, because I think it's not now a question of if, it's a question of when. Uh, and this, this, this whole thing, the eye test winning out over the criteria and the, the concerns and the conversation about who's number eight and who's number nine is is indicating that we are very close to going to the eight teams uh, in the college football playoff. But until we do that, uh, in my opinion, every college football national champion is still a mythical national champion. Tim Brando, he will be on the call for Fox on Saturday, 3 o'clock Central Time, as Iowa takes on Wisconsin. Tim, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Happy to be here, fellas, and good uh, good talking to you. You got it, Tim. Tim Brando, Fox Sports, joining us here on Morning Drive. Jerry Stovall, Bear Bryant, Bill Arnsparger all got a mention in that segment there. I was waiting for the Beano Cook reference. You know, because you didn't. Bear, Bear Bryant. <laughs> you got to drop a Beano in from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we will come back. One stat that will blow your mind on Bama LSU and also second thoughts. Back after this on Morning Drive. Don't forget, Predators fans, be listening in the 7 o'clock hour this morning. At some point, probably in the next 20 minutes or so, your chance to go to the Winter Classic and fly in style to see your Preds take on the Dallas Stars on the uh, in the Cotton Bowl on New Year's Day. So be listening for the cue to call. That is coming up later this morning here in the 7 o'clock hour on Morning Drive. So good stuff out of Tim Brando. Uh, coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, Newt, Newt Rockney will join us. And then we'll be joined by Bo Schembechler, Woody Hayes, and Ara Parsegian. <laughs> Just so we get all the uh, you know all the decades covered of the the great history of college football, one hundred and fifty like, years strong. I, I think what he was trying to say was that a coach went two and fifteen against Bear Bryant, and because he couldn't beat Bear Bryant, he was going to get fired. I was like, 
man, today that would take like four years. Yeah. Like it, it wouldn't. You don't get 17 tries. Like Jim Harbaugh's not going to get 17 tries at Ohio State before he gets fired. No, sir. Um, I'm not, and then I'm not sure. You know, LSU is fascinating. Like LSU's history is fascinating. Like they, they were basically irrelevant from 1971 until Nick Saban. Like they they won a couple of bowl games. Like they, it's it's such a good program, but they were dormant for 30 years. So. Here's a really interesting stat from the Bear Chris Felica from College Game Day in reference to Bama LSU and also you know these big time showdowns one versus two and obviously the playoff rankings last night shows us that LSU's two and Bama's three. Yeah, whatever. In the last forty years, there have been five regular season games between AP number one versus AP number two in which AP number one was the underdog, and in all of these spots, AP number one has won all five, including LSU when they beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa eight years ago. And what's ironic about that year is that we could have the exact same thing happen this year, where LSU goes into Tuscaloosa and wins, and then Alabama comes back and wins the national title. Like, that could absolutely happen this year. Um, If you remember Alabama, the two times you point to Alabama losing and still winning championships is 2011, where they still got into the BCS title game, and, and, and I think it was Jim McElwain with a sophomore, A.J. McCarron, who had a brilliant game plan to go right at the Honey Badger. They threw the football right at Tyron Matthew the entire time. Um, and then they won the game, like, just dominating. I don't think LSU crossed the 50 until, like, the fourth quarter. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, when when Alabama lost to Auburn in the Iron Bowl 26-12 a couple years ago and then gets into the playoff as a four seed and wins the whole thing. So um, it, I wouldn't be surprised if LSU wins the game and then Alabama goes on to win the whole thing. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens again. Do do we believe, because I'm starting to have second second thoughts. Like I said on this show multiple times that – they can't set the over-under high enough on Bama, LSU. It's going to be a Big 12 game. And like the more I think about it, I think I mentioned this to you guys off the air yesterday, Saban's guys are always tight in these big pressurized moments of consequence. Is this game going to be lower scoring than we think? I don't think so. What do you mean by, um, what do you mean by tight? Like They always seem to play is that tight. Good, is to, that good or bad? In a bad way. Okay. In I think it way. might start off that way. Sort of like the... Florida LSU game Feel, did sort of like the Auburn LSU yeah. game did sort of filling each other out but I think ultimately the teams will settle in and you will start to see a lot of plays made by both sides of the uh both sides of the ball meaning all mean Alabama and LSU so you do think it'll be a track I, I think it'll be if 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 the over under is 60 points I'm taking the over um in that game I think it's 64 <laughs> Four and yeah, I'm, I'm taking the over. I just think. You, you sure neither. you want to pick a Division One game this week? Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> oh, that's that'd be okay. the one I pick. Is hey, that going to be between picks, like Valdosta and Fordham? Yeah. Derek, Derek picks yeah. a he picks a, a I, I real get, football yeah, game I get once one a week. every once in a while. Yeah. But I, I just think <laughs> neither one of these teams have that elite defense that they are accustomed to having. But now LSU has that elite offense. Alabama has always had an elite offense, but I think they hadn't faced an elite offense this year. Um, I. And I think LSU has proven, Joe Burroughs has proven, he can play against elite defenses. He's played against two of them and managed to put up points. Um, it's going to be no different against uh, Alabama. Here's the thing that, I, that, that I'm wondering, because uh, the only, to me, the only team that can't afford a loss, and, and I might be wrong in this whole equation, is maybe Clemson when you're talking playoff teams. Because of the ACC and how – you know, they really don't get a tough game. Yes, the North Carolina game was tough. I get it. But 
they are head and shoulders above everyone in that division. They're the one team, and I don't think they're going to lose. I, I just don't think they're going to lose to anyone. Wake Forest, no, even though Wake Forest is ranked in the top 20, uh, 25, I don't think they're going to lose to Wake Forest. But I think that is one team that can't afford a loss. If they slip up, I think they're out. Uh, Alabama, whoever the winner, the loser between Alabama and Clemson, I mean Alabama and LSU might be in, They it, it might turn out to be the best thing. Because now they sit back and they wait. Well, they don't have to play. Yeah, they don't have to play in a conference title game. And they sit back and they wait. As long as they win the remainder of their game, the loser in this game has nothing to fear unless the rest of the teams just don't lose. Yeah, and and that's unlikely. I think everyone assumes everyone's going to win out, and that's just not normally the case. Almost Mm -hmm. everybody's going to lose from here on out. I mean, hell, the top four play each other. Exactly. Literally in the next couple weeks. Um, So you say you're going the other direction, Nick, meaning you like the under – and you like Bama? No, no, no. I still, like, still LSU. like LSU. Plus I, the I still like LSU. So, I still think LSU can win the game. I just don't think it'll be a Big Twelve track I, meet like we all. It almost seems too easy to say that. I, I think what happens is that it gets into a bit of that track meet style, and then defensive players make plays. Right. I, I think there's too much athletic talent on both defenses, even though they're they've had some issues, both of them, as a whole. Right. I mean, LSU gave up 38 to to Vanderbilt, even though two defensive touchdowns, 38 to Texas. Um, they, they gave up yards to some people. Alabama's given up chunk plays. They're, they're still, you know, Xavier McKinney is still a really good player. Like, he's still going to, I think he's going to make a big play against Joe Burrow. I could see both quarterbacks making mistakes. Like, even though they're both really great quarterbacks, I could see, like, these defenses are going to have some. Dave Aranda is an exceptional defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Nick Saban's defense, we know how good they can be in big moments. I think the defenses will make some plays. Uh, I still think the offenses get 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 going in the third quarter, like like Derek's saying, kind of a, a feeling out process, and then the offenses kind of kick in. I think a defensive player will make a big play for somebody, and I don't know what that means. The pass rush is a little bit better for Alabama. LSU sort of has chase on, and that's about it. Coming, up. They don't have a great collection of pass rushers, so that's a concern if I'm a LSU fan. Um, the one name I think we have not mentioned enough in this, and, and I think I've talked about him a little bit, but that's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the running back for, for LSU. He averaged over five yards a carry on 26 carries against Auburn. They threw him the ball seven times. I think they targeted him like 10 or 11 times. He had 33 touches against Auburn. 33 touches. That, that is Derrick Henry level of like SEC workload, and, and he is one of the more underrated players. His feet are amazing. You can't get a clean shot on him. I know Najee Harris is having a good season too, but I think Edward Tolaire, if he is as big a factor in the passing game as he was against Auburn, I, I think that's where LSU could find some some space. Uh, otherwise, I, I, I'm kind of with Derek. I think it's going to get high scoring in the third and fourth quarter, but whoever's star defensive back makes a big play, right? Stingley steps in front of a pass, makes a big interception. McKinney makes a big interception. Somebody in one of those two secondaries is going to make a big play. Derek Mason, head coach of Vanderbilt, will join us coming up in just about five minutes. The grand opening celebration of the Electronic Express, located at 1735 Galleria Boulevard in Cool Springs, has huge savings for all stores this week. Incredible prices on HDTVs, appliances, computers, mattresses, and more. Celebrate the new Cool Springs location this Thursday from 2 to 6 with Jared and Floyd, Electronic Express. We make it happen. Derek Mason will try to make it happen in the swamp coming up next. Uh, let me tell you guys about Spring Hill Heating and Cooling. Proud, proud sponsor of Smashville Live, which, of course, is back tonight at 7 o'clock with Mike Fisher down at Brewhouse South. And, of course, Spring Hill Heating and Cooling along for the ride all season long throughout Smashville Live because they're, they're Middle Tennessee. 
They're, they're locally owned. They were born here. They've been raised here. They do all their work here. They, in fact, they've opened up a second office out there on, on, uh, in, in Dixon, on, uh, south of Dixon on Highway 100. They've doubled in size because you've rewarded them with, their, with business for, for over two decades. Spring Hill Heating and Cooling, they know exactly what your house needs. They'll come out. They'll give you a full diagnostic. The weather's not quite freezing yet. It's not quite cold enough yet to start doing real heavy damage on your house. So now's the time to get them out to your house. Give your house that thorough checkup. Maximize your efficiency. That'll save you money. So give them a call, Spring Hill Heating and Cooling. SpringHillAC.com is the website. SpringHillAC.com is the website. So just go there, peruse, check it out. Make sure you tell them Braden sent you. And the bottom line is this is the time of year you need to get your house checked up before all the frost starts, before all the pipes start freezing, before all the big problems can happen. Right now is when you need to get it checked out and and make sure everything's running smoothly. Get that thorough diagnostic. Join the Comfort Club. I promise you they'll check your house out twice a year going into both the heavy usage seasons, which is, of course, the spring and the fall. Um, it's why my family uses Spring Hill Heating and Cooling, and we're not using the other guys anymore. SpringHillAC.com is the website. Proud sponsor of Smashville Live. Back tonight at 7 o'clock. SpringHillAC.com is the website. SpringHillAC.com. It is Morning Drive, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Nick Braden, D-Mace, and Marquise as we welcome in the head coach of Vanderbilt, Coach Derek Mason, joining us for his weekly appearance. Coach, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Love that Marvin Gaye, man. Uh, Bring it in. Just for you. So you you guys have shown a lot of resiliency. You had the bad loss to UNLV. You bounced back with a really monster victory over Missouri. Last week, you lose at South Carolina. How do you test that resiliency this week in the Swamp? Well, First of all, man, we gotta we gotta we gotta make sure, man, we head down to the swamp, man, and and give these guys all they can handle. Um, you know, the University of Florida has been a really good team, and we understand that. And they're 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 powerful and 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 have weapons on offense, man. They're fast on defense, man, and they and they and they get you in 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 you know long third down situations. This team's got to make sure, um, and that we stay on the field. I mean, it's got to be complimentary football, offense, defense, and special teams. I mean, we got to stay on the field offensively. We got to get off the field defensively. Um, and we've got to, we've, we've got to make some things happen in special teams and really work to get some turnovers. Now, Coach, looking at this team, because obviously uh, Florida at the beginning of the season, Felipe Franks was the guy, and this was a ranked team. He gets hurt. No one w- really wants to see that. But it seems like this team has operated better with Trask uh, right. as the quarterback. What do you see uh, in Trask that makes him um, the player that he is? Because this offense, I've watched it from the start to finish, uh, well, from start to where they're at now, uh-huh. and it seems like Trask gives them the best opportunity to do what they want to do from an offensive standpoint. Well, I think Trask is a true pocket pocket passer. I mean, he stands big in the pocket. He can deliver the football. And, you know, he's got weapons all over the place. Swain, Cleveland, Grimes. I um, mean, you look at Pitts, you know, and what he's doing. P. Ryan out of the backfield. You look at Jefferson. I mean, uh, a Nashville product uh, in, in the year he's having. And then you add on top of that, man, they, they just got Kadarius Tony back. And, and, and it's a group, okay, I mean, of talented wide receivers and skilled players where 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 this quarterback can stand in the pocket and deal it. They do a good job of of moving you around, uh, you know, giving you a lot of eye candy, uh, screening you. Uh, it, it, it's it's. I believe Dan Mullen is one of the best play callers, uh, you know, in, in in college football right now, just because I mean he finds ways to get matchups, and you know that's what's going to be critical in this game. You know, watching Trash stand in the pocket. You know what what 
How are they going to formation you? How are they going to get you in in, in unbalance? And 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 they're looking for the one on one matchups. Let's look at the other side of the ball, and and we know Todd Grantham has a, a tendency to bring a lot of different unique pressures and blitzes. They like to play man to man coverage on the outside. You guys have a bunch of weapons. How do you attack that defense, and what challenges do they present? You you know the challenges that that they present. I mean they. They they want to rush the passer, um, and they're 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 solid versus the run, but they want to stop the passer and 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 or, or rush the passer. So for us, uh, we've got to make sure, man, that we can get ourselves in manageable third down situations. Okay, man, we we want to be in third third and six or less, not third and eight plus. Okay, man, I mean, if you're in third and eight plus, you know they 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 get fast, um, and they put they put dime on the field. They've got DBs that can come at you. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of what they do, they'll pressure, they'll lurk you, they'll play some one rat, uh, which is which is a form of late lurk coverage, uh, and 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 even disguise some of their pressures with some some trap coverage or some 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 two slice or two man on the back end. So he's got he's got different looks uh, for us, I man. We we definitely got to make sure that our guys, you know, I mean, can line up. Okay, man, and that we create some matchups. We're going to try to give these guys some formations that they haven't seen, and and make sure we can create some of our own matchups. And and our quarterbacks are going to have to play well. I mean, that that's the bottom line. You know, man, we got Deuce Wallace, we got Allen Walters, um, and, and probably not going to have you know, man, either of our other two uh, you know quarterbacks at our disposal. I man, we'll see as the week goes on. But right now, those are the two that we have. So so that's what we got to get ready for. Now, uh, because you you alluded to my question, um, you know, Mohassan and and Riley. Go- goes down um, and comes Deuce Wallace and now you have to depend on Wallace and Walters Um, Mm -hmm. does the playbook um, for you guys change much with those two guys now assuming that Riley can't play or Hassan can't play does the playbook change um, moving forward with these two guys um, I, I I think it changes a little bit, you know, man. We've we've tried to you know run Riley at times, but that's not really what he is. I think I think when you look at you know, man, Deuce and Allen, they're more mobile. And so when you talk about the mobility of the quarterback, uh, you're you're talking about okay, man. Do you add do you add some zone read elements to it? Yeah, I mean, that, there there's got to be some zone read elements to it because you gotta you gotta make these guys defend eleven guys. It can't always be about just defending ten guys because that's what they want you to do. They will they want to play eleven on ten. We got to make them play eleven on eleven. So, yes, I mean the playbook does change. We're gonna have an opportunity, you know, meant to now that these guys are are now that Deuce is getting. Uh, the, the majority of the reps, and you see Allen, you know, been getting reps. These guys look good and proficient in what we're asking them to do, and that's what it's about. It's about making these guys comfortable, but also finding ways to get the ball to the playmakers. Coach, always a pleasure. Best of luck against Florida on Saturday, and we'll talk again next week. Thank you. Let's anchor down. You got it, Derek Mason, head coach of Vanderbilt. You got man. I'm just it's it's you know it's just really it it's been unfortunate, man. Uh, for for Coach Mason, uh, they bring in Riley Neal. Think he's the guy. Turns out he's not the guy. He gets injured. They go to Mohassan. What they go to Deuce Wallace? He's not playing well. They go to Mohassan. He gets injured. Then they got to go back to Deuce Wallace, and then now Allen Walters. I mean, it's been a quarterback carousel for a team that you know they can't afford to 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 not know who's you know underneath center. And they also can't afford to have the lack of production. You look at Neil Wallace and Hassan, the three of them combined have thrown seven touchdowns and seven interceptions. It, I get it, it's Vanderbilt, but in the SEC, I, it's almost unfathomable that you could go from Kyle Shermer 
all-time leader in many statistical categories to three guys that have put out basically nothing. Yeah, especially with all the support, mm-hmm. right, uh, from the skill players. I, what, what's interesting is even – I mean, Kyle Shermer wasn't exactly viewed as an earth-shattering, game-changing nope. quarterback for mm-hmm. the first two years. Like, he, he, there were a ton of mistakes. He, he, he made a bunch of uh, misreads and a, bad, a bunch of bad games, bad stat lines, a bunch of losses, and, you know, he, he, they gave him time. They were patient with him. They had, he, he, had, he had the same coordinator for, like, three of those years. Andy Ludwig is now in Utah, by the way, top-ten team. Um, th- th- you know, having him grow and develop, it took time, and and he became a really good player by his senior season. It, it takes time. So a guy like Hassan, like you got to give him time to develop. You can't just, you know, especially if you're injured, you got to give him, you got to give these young players time, and they've they've got weapons. And um, I, I don't know, it's a tough road. You look at Vandy, how many wins are they going to get? How many times are they are going to be favored the rest of the way? Not a lot. Still to come this morning, Sean Henry at 8.30, Adam Vingan at 9.30, and Preds fans be listening this hour. The cue to call could be coming up at any moment. (laughs) My jungle love. Congratulations. You know who this is? This feels like a Detroit Rock City party in like 1992. It's not Whitney. 1988. No. Man, it's the time, man. Morris Day in the Morris time. Day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jungle up. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. That, doesn't uh, that just reek of the 80s? It is. It does. just reeks of the 80s. Yeah, he was cool, man. You used to listen to this back in the day? Oh, of course. He yeah. was like, yeah. he yeah. was always under, he was like under Prince's shadow. Uh, he was like a poor man's prince. Yeah, he was in Purple Rain. Yeah, he was in Purple Rain as a poor man prince. Mm. Uh, so. That's insulting to Prince. No, but he, I mean, he made some good jams, but he no, was just... He and Prince were kind of like the same genre and the same kind of feel and minus the elect, yeah. the unbelievable guitar playing. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you would time. be like blaring this out of the house, and Mr. Bruno would come out and start yelling. Mm-hmm. Mason, turn that down. Turn that damn radio down. What, what <laughs> turn was, that what was Mr. Bruno? Down, boy, what was Mr. Bruno listening to? I don't know. He ain't listening to nothing. Stones, like old R.L. Uh, Burnside, like old uh, uh, Robert uh. Johnson blues. Was he a blues guy? He strikes me know. as a. Like he, I never heard any music come out of Mr. Bruno's house. No, Mr. Bruno. I think I, he had some dead bodies or something <laughs> in his basement. I think we all have the freedom to create the Mr. Bruno character in our own head. Yes. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. And Mr. Absolutely. Mr. Bruno in my head uh-huh. has a rocking chair on his front porch, yeah. and he listens to the blues, old Chicago blues, and he just sits up there and he just yells at people. See, I, I, I picture yelled. I, I picture oh, Mr. Was, Bruno was, more like Mr. Wilson from Dennis the Menace. Like you were Dennis the Menace, so we'll call uh. you Derek the Menace. And, and Mr. Bruno's Mr. Wilson from D, the old TV yeah. show. D Menace. Mr. D-Menace. Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, but he got he would blow his stack all the time. That's right? my kind yeah. of guy. See, and I sometimes I stack needs Mr. to be blown. I can see Mr. Bruno just be like, "Hey, boy, get, get off the line. Stop walking, nah, Mr. Stop Mr. walking Mr. through Bruno. my flower bush." Well, he always talks about like, "Come, come, come, look at this. Come look at this. Somebody, come look at this here. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, who, who, who stepped on my grass? I can see footprints. Look, there is a footprint." <laughs> No, nah, Mr. Bruno was cool. Did man. he have a rocking I like, chair? I like Mr. Bruno. No, he had two chairs. Him and his wife would sit on the chair. <laughs> See, they would. They'd sit in the front porch. Wave, on, wave at everybody. He had the best lawn in the, in the neighborhood. Sweet home Chicago. I yeah. love Mr. Bruno. When, when I get to Mr. Bruno's age, the last thing I'll be doing is sitting in a chair next to my wife. I'll be checked out at that point. That's the last thing Nick Kale will be doing. But I digress. Well, you still have Tito's? Oh, you're damn right. <laughs> Wait, does that just put you on the back porch and her on the front porch? Hopefully in separate separate, separate right. time zones. <laughs> oh, my God.
much less porches. Uh, congratulations to Jay Hyde, not to be confused with Jay Ajayi or Carlos Hyde, but Jay Hyde is the winner, and the correct answer was Matias Ekholm. He's, he's qualified for a chance to... Uh, Go to the Winter Classic Celebration Flyaway in Dallas where you get round-trip airfare, hotel accommodations, a pair of tickets to see Leonard Skinner with special guests, the Almond Betts Band, and a sleep at the wheel. And, of course, the big part of this prize, the Preds tickets to see the stars, Cotton Bowl, New Year's Day, January the 1st. You know you know, you guys, I'm like a huge uh, anti-jersey-wearing uh, stance. Like I have a huge anti-jersey wearing stance for grown adult men. I think I don't think there's a single grown adult male that looks good in a jersey. I'm with you. Uh, unless you're at the game, all bets are off. You can in your house or at the game, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, I think I think if we if we asked all the women of the world, I think they would agree that n- nobody uh, looks good in a jersey. I will say I do kind of want one of those Winter Classic jerseys. Oh, I'm 100 percent in. Those things are awesome. Yeah. No doubt about it. And it's not I feel, even... I feel I feel bad that I want one, but I want one. I, I don't even know how many times I would wear it. Like, I would wear it to the game itself yes. and maybe to a regular season Preds game afterwards, but that becomes like a commemorative item. Right, and it's... You frame it, you put it in your man cave. Oh, man, it's get it autographed and then yep. hang it up. I, I agree. It's one of the coolest looking sweaters I've seen. So, Vandy in the swamp this week. The Vols in Lexington. Missouri at Georgia. Do we that get any drama this week? Because everybody's so caught up in Bama, LSU, and rightfully so. No, I mean, Kentucky, Tennessee is bigger than both of those, probably. I mean, Georgia's a pretty heavy favorite. Florida's a very heavy favorite. I can't see Vanderbilt. I mean, with all due respect to Coach, I just can't see Vanderbilt going down there and winning any individual matchups. Like, wh- where are they going to win an individual matchup? Even even with their best players. Like, give Keyshawn Vaughn 400 touches. What, like, are you going to – I just don't so see n- it. no chance of a Florida letdown coming I, off the cocktail party? I mean, there, there's, here's the question, and – and this happened in Kentucky last year at Knoxville, right? When you lose the season, right? There's you lost your your chance at a championship against Georgia last week. How do you handle that? Now, I think the talent differential is too great to overcome. I think Florida could play down because again, they played down to South Carolina mm-hmm. after losing to LSU, or, or yeah, losing they lose to LSU and they come back and they play sort of poorly in the first half, emotional letdown against South Carolina, but then they pull away in the second half because they're just they have better players and a better coach. Um, and Dan Mullen, you even heard Derek Mason's respect for Dan Mullen in that mm-hmm. interview. He said, man, it's one of, he's one of the best play callers in America. And he is. Um, Kyle Trask looks like he's moving. He's like, he's like the, how about this, Derek? Is Kyle Trask the Cassius Winston of college football? He doesn't ever look like he's going fast at all. Mm-hmm. But, he, but, he, but he makes the correct decision almost every single time. And the ball arrives at the right moment, at the right time. Even when he's running, he doesn't look fast. But then somehow he gains like six yards. And you're like, how did he do that? Well, I mean, he in, in in you know maybe I, I don't know how this team would have looked um, with Felipe Franks at quarterback, um, but well, well, we saw how it looked in prior years. Um, but I think even though with you know them having two losses, um, Florida is it two one two two, two yeah, yeah two losses. I still think that this Florida team is is better equipped um, to win and to run the type of offense they want to run with Kyle Trask at the helm. It just seems like, you know, he can make every throw. Um, Granted, he's a little bit older. He's been there for a while. But he gives you something that, you know, that I don't think Felipe Franks would have given you this year. But if you look at all the numbers, and Felipe only played a few games, but if you look at all the numbers, completion rate in Felipe Franks is better Average yard per play, Felipe Franks is better. But I think Kyle Trask is, 
you know, the type of guy that Dan Mullen wants underneath center. He's a big guy, stand in the pocket. He can run if he needs to, but he seems to to know where he wants to go with the football. And he finds those receivers, and, and, and he puts it right on them. So they're always going to be a dangerous team, I think, Florida with Trask at the helm. Um, it's going to be a tough out, I mean, for, for Vandy. I don't – this might get ugly. If I'm Tennessee, I'm watching the Missouri-Georgia game pretty closely. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's the next opponent for Tennessee, and you really want to see what – like how healthy is Kelly Bryant? What does it look like against Georgia? You know, Missouri's been a team that we've seen play really, really good football this year and really, really bad football this year. So you really don't have any idea what to expect from Missouri. They've played against Georgia and Florida very well. So I, I could see them – you know, Georgia, a team that people are saying all year hasn't really played their best game. Are, are they still building? They just can't – they're coming off one of their best games of the year. Defensively, they're just – they have been dynamite. They shut down Notre Dame and Florida's offenses to basically nothing. Um, so Georgia's defense, I think, is very underrated nationally. I would expect Georgia's defense to win that battle against Missouri at home. So I don't think there's an upset there. But pay attention to how it looks because that's, you know, Tennessee, you're going to be facing um, Missouri here coming up. Tennessee, Kentucky is the fascinating one, to be honest with you. Like, I think it's more interesting than, than the other ones because it it's not just important for Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee. It's critically mm-hmm. important for Mark Stoops in Kentucky. Like, they both of these teams are going to be fighting for bowl eligibility. And it's a, it's it's turning into a rivalry because of what happened last year. And and the history of this has been obviously one-sided with Tennessee, but Kentucky feels like it's past Tennessee mm-hmm. as a program in the East. And, and they to, to say that, they have to win this game. You can't, like in a rebuilding year, you can't lose to a team that lost to Georgia State and BYU and then call yourself better than them. So if, if Tennessee's going to go on the road and beat you twice, even though they beat you in your best season in 40 years, mm-hmm. right? Tennessee's a better program then. And that's a that's something Kentucky fans probably don't want to admit right now. So that, that's this is a huge game for both sides um, I'd, I can't wait to see what, what happens at the quarter. Both quarterback situations are completely bizarre situations, Tennessee and Kentucky. So it, it, I have no idea what's going to happen in that game. That's, that's why it's a pick em, basically. Remember in July and August, especially at media days, a lot of people were saying, and we were getting calls and tweets and people talking about Kentucky. Oh, guys, you know, it's not just Benny Snell and Josh Allen. That was, that that was ten- me. Yeah. That was me. That was, uh, I was the one who was like, Kentucky's underrated, Kentucky's underrated, and maybe I was wrong. I don't know because we haven't figured it well, out. Well, I've been dead wrong on Missouri. Like I thought they would be the third I best so team. Too, yeah. I think Georgia's going to handle Missouri this week. Uh, I think they will too. Uh, I think Georgia, after that, you know, South Carolina debacle, um, I think they regrouped, and you know, I can't see them losing to anyone moving forward other than possibly the SEC championship game. Um, I, I'm just I, I'm looking at the two teams, UT and, and Vandy. Uh, and both teams, if they run the table, uh, put themselves in a position to make a bowl game. Um, if Vandy – can Vandy get into a bowl game if they – say they lose to Florida, lose a close – say they lose they a close They have to win every game. game. They lose a close hand to Florida, but they beat Kentucky, ETSU, and, and UT. Can no, they, they then – No, they'd be 5-7. 5-7. Seven. Seven. I mean, we have seen some – It'd have to be know, some APR stuff. Yeah, exactly. Which is educational – Stats. I, I don't think Vandy has a chance. I don't. Th- I don't think Vandy makes a bowl game if they lowered the restriction to four wins. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being I'm, serious. I'm, I don't see where they get I'm two with, more wins. I'm with Nick on this. I, Missouri technically is in third place right now in the East mm-hmm. at two and two, but their two losses are to the two worst teams, quote unquote, in the division. Right, Kentucky mm-hmm. and Vandy. So they still have to play almost all the other good teams. So it, it's you know, listen, t- Tennessee has got an, an interesting path to five and three. 
Mm-hmm. They are winnable games, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. And you could get to 5-3, and three, which would be considered a monumental accomplishment considering how the season started. So I, you know, South Carolina sitting at 3-4. and four. They had to play A&M and Bama and crossover. That's why part of the reason we picked them lowers because we knew they were going to have some losses. So it, it, it's st- there's still a lot to be to be decided here, and all these teams are fighting for bowl eligibility. South Carolina four and five, Tennessee four and five, Kentucky four and four. All of them are fighting for bowl eligibility. Missouri probably gets there with one win to get to six and six, but every single one of these teams needs that extra month of practice. They need the check and they need some positive momentum. Time for another installment of Silly Underdogs. Make your picks now for the three college football underdogs that you think can win the game outright on this Saturday. Weekly winners will get a pair of tickets to the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl at Nissan Stadium on Monday, December the 30th. You can play on thegamenashville.com or the Game Nashville mobile app today. Silly Underdog Picks is sponsored by the Volunteer Hose and Gasket. Big night last night in the world of college sports. Two great ones at Madison Square Garden and the college football playoff rankings were revealed. We'll get back to that on the other side of Morning Drive on ESPN 1025 Game.